the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. I'm Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And just so you'll know, um, how one obtains a certification from uh, the State Bar is generally you've taken a bar exam, you've graduated from college, graduated from law school, and then you pass a bar exam, and then you practice in a particular area for at least five years, and then you get to take another bar exam uh, in that particular area. And if you get a passing grade and pass um, uh, peer review, as it were, and also um, court review, that is to say um, the bar asks judges and clients and your peers how well you understand the particular area of law. And there's about 13, 14 areas in admiralty law, wills, trusts, and estates, criminal law. And I just happen to to like bankruptcy law because I like helping people. And I got to tell you, the biggest smile I've ever gotten from anybody, including my own child on Christmas Day, was helping somebody confirm a plan in bankruptcy. Because when I finished my um, graduate degree, I was going to do uh, I, I really was interested in becoming a sports agent. And, 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 and as some of you might know, based on my ability to tell people about Westerns, uh, when you grow up in a house with, with a lot of boys, um, even if you're a girl, and I consider myself quite feminine, I was a bit of a tomboy. <laughs> and not only that, uh, I like sports because that's what, People watched on the telly, whether you wanted to or not, and so I got to where I could understand it. And one of the reasons why I wanted to um, be a sports agent was because um, many, especially um, uh, sports people of color and and women uh, who are athletes, they tend, um, well, put it another way, your um, shelf life in it, as an athlete, especially if you're um, a football player and, or a track and field person or soccer player, you tend to have a very short sh- shelf life. And unless you can negotiate you know, good contracts uh, from the entity that's hiring you to be an athlete uh, or you can get 
contracts to uh, utilize your uh, your image, your um, intellectual property. Many of these folks, you know, they're out of the game by the time they're 30, and sometimes by the time they're 35, they don't have any money. And so um, that was my interest, and I was, you know, that's why I studied tax, so I could analyze contracts and look at the tax consequences. But, you know, things happen for a reason. And um, one of my um, dear friends um, had some financial issues, and I ran into her a couple of times in the grocery store, and she didn't look very happy. Uh, and I asked her what was wrong, and, and she finally broke down and told me that uh, she was having some financial issues and she had to file for bankruptcy. And I said, well, you know, although I was practicing in insurance, I said, you know, I'm your friend, and um, I can understand most kinds of law, and you, you should have um, asked me for help. And so I took over a case, and I was able to get a plan confirmed and the biggest smile ever in the universe because <laughs> uh, I was able to help her keep her house. And so I just said this this is the best area of practice because you can see real results. You you won't be make buku bucks as a bankruptcy attorney, especially if you know you want to practice like I do as a soloist. Uh, but the uh, the warm and fuzzies that you get from uh, practicing it, uh, it makes you feel good. So I, I took on a couple other cases, and then I decided the best way for me to really learn this area of law was to take that specialization exam. And they you know, they don't offer these exams um, um, every year. They, they pick certain years, and they only offer a handful of the different disciplines. But to study for it, uh, and you have to practice in the area. And so that's really um, why I learned it. And, you know, I get to help all kinds of clients, uh, you know, people who are going through transitions in their business or people who need uh, help um, salvaging what they can out of their financial as, uh, assets. That's that's why I, I really love uh, bankruptcy, and I love to learn about it, and I love to share information about it. So that's a little bit uh, more about me, maybe TMI, but um, I don't care. <laughs> so anyway, in addition to my JD, I have a, a couple of master's degrees. Uh, one is the law of um, taxation laws, I said, and also intellectual property law. Both of these degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in beautiful downtown San Francisco. And because of my training, my experience, my interests, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, uh, but I also help people manage their uh, debts and uh, wealth outside of bankruptcy. I do wills, trusts, and estates, real estate law, and taxation law. And I'm also most proud to say that I sometimes have the opportunity to help vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves victims of some of the various forms of financial elder abuse. Um, and as always, I am so pleased to be able to come to you once again from the beautiful Case Fact Studios in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting families and small business owners. However, and as always, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide legal advice nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances 
and hopefully to provide you with an outline of some of the issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. Because if you don't have someone helping you that knows the ropes, it's like you go into a gunfight with a butter knife. You're not going to be happy with that result. Like I said, you're going to find yourself dead on arrival in most instances, and it has nothing to do with your cognitive ability, your smarts, your training. It's just that lawyers like me, we do this every day, and so we know the ins and outs. And there's a procedural component to the law that most lay people just don't have an opportunity to understand. So in addition to the statutory and case law, there's also some procedures. And if you don't follow the procedures, you can find yourself you know, kick to the curb in your own case. So that's why I really want you to really consider finding out uh, if there's someone who can help you, especially if your legal matter is dealing with money or the lack thereof and finances. So you really need to figure out how to protect your family's financial health, their wealth, and their money-related issues. You know, and that's what this show tries to do, give you information in a non-threatening environment. You know, I don't even know who you are. And some of you call me and, you know, I'm happy to try to help you. And if I can't help you, point you in in the right direction. But this is a forum for exchanging information in a non-threatening educational forum. So with that said, we're going to continue our discussion of entrepreneurship because I consider entrepreneurship One of the great things about this country, people who are born here or people who immigrate here, we have an opportunity to start uh, enterprises, and some of them are going to succeed like gangbusters. Most of them won't, but a lot of them can throw off enough cash to not only cover the business component, but also provide a, a, a nice living for a family and, you know, uh, have the ability to, to make a contribution to your family, to your community, and to our country by being involved in uh, the marketplace. And so I uh, consider um, entrepreneurship or small business management, small business development to be the flip side of bankruptcy because, you know, you those businesses that are going well are going to occasionally run up against some um, some stumbling blocks and have to at least consider bankruptcy, not necessarily go through it. And those in bankruptcy, you're trying to right your ship so you can get out of bankruptcy as soon as you can with as many assets so you can continue on with that business or shut it down and move on and have a discharge to limit your liability. So we're going to continue looking at the difference between the two major kinds of small business bankruptcy. That is to say, a business chapter 13 bankruptcy or an individual slash small business bankruptcy under chapter 11 of the bankruptcy code. So last time we were here, we went over some of the differences between a 13 and an 11 as far as eligibility. You have to be a human being to be in a 13. You can be a non-human entity if you want to file a Chapter 11. And there's also debt limits in a 13. But unless somebody calls you on it, you might be able to to muddle through in a 13 even if you're over the debt limits. There's administrative requirements. If you're 13, you continue on with your bank accounts. You're you're still you. 
and the filing fee is relatively inexpensive, three ten. Uh, if you do a Chapter 11, there's a lot of administrative processes, and you have to shut down bank accounts and open up new accounts. And there's trustee fees in both kinds. You pay a Chapter 13 trustee a commission up to 10%, or you pay a Chapter 11, you pay the United States trustee quarterly fees. So when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion looking at the legal issues uh, in trying to determine if you want to do a Chapter 13 or a Chapter 11. So stick around. I'll be right back. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion on some of the key issues you need to consider if you're trying to save your distressed business, uh, be that route a Chapter 13 versus a Chapter 11. So there's also a difference in the amount and how you pay your attorney. Um, If you do a Chapter 13, uh, there's usually no pre-requirement that the court approve you uh, for um, uh, approve your attorney, that is to say, before you can can hire them, and then your attorney in a chapter thirteen is representing you, and 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 that I really want to bring that home when I uh, talk about the difference in a chapter eleven. So um, you get to hire your own attorney. You don't need court pre approval unless they're going to be doing something unusual. Um, they represent you. And in many jurisdictions, there's a no-look fee for individual and uh, small business bankruptcies. Um, so it's between $2,500 and $5,000. And then there's an additional one to $2,000 for a small business Chapter 13 as an add-on. Um, and so you usually can't unbundle services. You usually have to do everything, that is to say, to get the plan confirmed for that flat fee. Now, in a Chapter 11, you have to get the court to approve your uh, attorney, your accountant, and other professionals. And they are vetted by the Office of the United States Trustee to make sure that they have, um, they're competent, uh, that they're eligible to represent debtors, and that their fees are fair. So all of that is highly scrutinized. Um, and counsel for the debtor in possession, that is to say the debtor in a Chapter 11 is called the debtor in possession, and it means the debtor is in possession of the assets of the bankruptcy estate as a fiduciary for the uh, creditors. In a Chapter 13, um, you know, you're a debtor, uh, and um, the trustee acts as the administrative agent, but in 11, you act as the fiscal and uh, administrative agent for figuring out how much you're going to be able to pay your creditors. Uh, So your counsel is only paid for work that is undertaken for the benefit of the estate. So when I work as a Chapter 11 uh, bankruptcy counsel, I'm representing the estate. Those are the assets of the debtor. The debtor, if it's a corporation has to point out and get court approval to appoint somebody to act as the speaker, the spokesperson for the corporation, because corporations can't speak for themselves. But sometimes small business owners, uh, sole proprietorships, 
are in um, chapter 11s, and so that the, the sole proprietor can't speak for him or herself. There are no, no look fees, and everything that the attorney gets has to be approved by the court after a hearing where everybody gets to weigh in as to whether or not, you know, someone was a total idiot and she didn't know what she was doing, and, you know, um, so she didn't get, uh, get no fees. <laughs> or, or, or someone did a, a decent job, even if the plan didn't, if the plan failed, if she did what she was supposed to do, representing the interests of the, the estate uh, to the satisfaction of the court after the U.S. trustee weighs in, then she'll get paid her fees. So there's risk involved in being the attorney for a uh, Chapter 11 uh, debtor. But again, I got to tell you that big smile on people's face when they get to save their business or they get to liquidate a business that's unsuccessful and, um, you know, be discharged of having that debt over their head, especially if they signed uh, a, a guarantee. Uh, it, 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 it's worth it to me. Uh, now, there's something called a co-debtor stay that's available in a Chapter 13. Okay, so husband and wife um, own, own a house together, and uh, husband loses his job. Wife is still uh, working. Um, most of that is in husband's name. So husband decides to file uh, for bankruptcy on his own. That's, that's allowable because although people are married, uh, they are individuals in the eyes of the United States Constitution, and as bankruptcy is available to all the individuals uh, in in this country, if you're married, you don't have to file a joint case. And even if you do file a joint case, it's actually two separate cases that are handled administratively as one. So if the husband files for bankruptcy uh, to save the house, um, there is something called a co-debtor stay. Because what, what might happen if one person in a family, uh, the husband files for bankruptcy, creditors might go after the wife because we're in a community property state. But there's something called a co-debtor stay, and that protects the non-filing spouse. That's the technical term, technical term that's used from the creditors. They have to, to leave him or her alone as well. Now, there's no such thing as a co-debtor stay in a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. However, there is a technique that can be used to pull um, uh, partners, uh, be they business partners or relationship partners, under the protection of the state in certain circumstances if that partner uh, being protected will inure to the benefit of the creditors by allowing that non-filing spouse to be able to conduct herself or himself uh, outside of the bankruptcy and bring income into the family unit to pay the creditors. And there's ways to do that, and I won't go into it because it puts you to sleep. Um, uh, there is United States trustee oversight. So I, I've said United States trustee for a couple of times. Um, initially, um, bankruptcy judges were kind of sort of like a magistrate judge. They were appended to district court judges, and they handled everything. Then there were allegations that bankruptcy judges were um, showing favoritism towards, you know, um, certain attorneys. And so there was this process of breaking up the functions of what it is that bankruptcy judges do. They're still appended to district courts, but the Office of the U.S. Trustee, which is a subunit of the Department of Justice, was brought in to handle a lot of the administrative function and also to act as a 
neutral um, party that could supervise what's going on in a Chapter 11 at arm's length. Uh, Because like I told you before in one of the earlier shows, one of the difference between a 13 and an 11, both of them go to what is known, debtors go to what is known as a 341 hearing, a meeting of the creditors. But in a Chapter 11, there's also this additional initial step called um, the initial uh, meeting where a representative of the Department of Justice, again, the Office of the U.S. Trustee is a subunit of the Department of Justice, meets with the debtor in possession and or the responsible individual if the debtor in possession is other than a human being and her lawyer to get to submit certain documentations to just make sure that um, the bankruptcy makes sense uh, and that there is a maybe not a short-term uh, exit plan, but certainly that the debtor and her attorney have a reasonable basis to believe that there is an outcome uh, that will be positive, either a reorganization of the business well under the protection of the court. That's what it's called when you file for bankruptcy. You're under the protection of the court. Your creditors have to come into court if they want to do something adverse to you. But the purpose of a Chapter 11 is the end result, the exit. So that exit could be a reorganization after all of your creditors get to weigh in and vote on whether a plan makes sense or not from their perspective, or a going concern liquidation. Okay, so if if a, a concern, that is to say a business, is going, that is to say generating income, it it it's highly likely that if it's sold as a going concern, it will generate more um, sales proceeds than if it's sold on a, pr- a bake- breakup basis a- at an auction where people are generally trying to get get the most they can for the least amount. And it, sometimes there's nothing left over for the creditors that help fund the uh, debtor in the first place. So yeah, I find that you know, sometimes you you do just, you need to liquidate, but you want to get a higher liquidation value in an 11, and you can, then you might get in a uh, Chapter 7 liquidation. And sometimes businesses like, you know, Sears um, is a good example of a business that liquidated while it was in Chapter 11. It's a big business, but, you know, uh, I it's not that a small business Chapter 11 is a miniaturization of a uh, big Chapter 11, although it is and it isn't. But I I was just using that as an example. So usually in a Chapter 11, the debtor in possession is the management that was there before the business ran into trouble, and it initially can continue being the management of the the corporation or or the entity unless and until – um, the leadership, the management, the individual does something that's stupid. And, um, you know, and there are allegations that are substantiated that the debtor in possession is perpetrating fraud on the court or on her creditors. She's acting in a dishonest manner. She's incompetent or gross mismanagement. And then that would mean that the office of the U.S. trustee would put a um, a trustee, a Chapter 11 trustee, or an examiner in to um, to review the debtor's actions, 
and to continue on trying to see if there's a reorganization plan that makes sense for the creditors. Now, contrast that with the 13, the Office of the U.S. Trustee appoints Chapter 13 trustees, and they act as the initial gatekeeper of the bankruptcy processes. The debtor still manages his or her business, but the trustee wants to make sure that everything is going according to Hoyle. So I'm going to leave it there for now, and when we come back next time, we'll conclude uh, our discussion of the difference between a Chapter 13 business bankruptcy and a Chapter 11 bankruptcy by looking at some of the other major issues. But as always, in closing, I urge us all to stay on the right side of the law. Till next time, take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.